Blog Talk Radio. to research at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett, and I want to welcome the callers and chatters to research at the National Archives and Beyond. This show will provide individuals interested in genealogy and history an opportunity to listen, learn, and take action. If you have logged in as a guest and you wish to participate in the chat, please sign in through your Facebook account or blog, Talk Radio. Well, have you considered joining a lineage society? Or, for that matter, why is a lineage society important? Do you know what information and research is required to qualify for membership? Well, tonight, Dr. Shelley Murphy and True Lewis will answer your questions and discuss the research and the documentation process to prove that your ancestors' connection is to the Revolutionary War. Now, chatters, I want you to feel free to call in and and chime into this discussion because, you know, everyone has an opinion about a lineage society. Well, Dr. Shelley Murphy a.k.a. Family Tree Girl, is a native of Michigan. Shelley has been an avid genealogist for over 25 years, and she attends and presents at local and national conferences, and she's currently working for a nonprofit and serves as an adjunct faculty at Everett University. In addition, Shelley is a coordinator of Track 1 for the Midwest African-American Genealogy Institute. Now, this is the only institute developed exclusively to address the issues associated with African-American research. True Lewis is a family historian, and she's also a genie blocker for her personal diary and family history research work on mytrueroots.com. She was also a guest on Season 2 in the St. Louis episode of the Genealogy Roadshow. So I just want everybody to put their hands together and welcome both of the guests to the show. Welcome. And before we even do the welcome, let's just pause for a few minutes of silence. We all are feeling 
just sadness today because of the passing of Prince. So let's just pause for just a few minutes of silence. Okay. Amen, everyone. So welcome, Shelley Murphy and True, to research at the National Archives and beyond. Good evening. Good evening. Hi, Bernice Bernice and Shelley. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Well, thank you for joining the show. Yes. Okay, so what is the big question here tonight, ladies? Why join a lineage society? Well, I'll go first if that's okay, True. I say why not? Why not try to honor and preserve your legacy or your patriot ancestor that helped, you know, fight for the independence of this country? Why not? What about you, True? What did you say? I say yes, too. Um, My family has been of service to this nation for four generations, Um, firstborn military, and, you know, it's, a continuation of my service to the country on a local level. So that's why I say go for it. <laughs> you say go for and it. You know, but for when me, you think about it, go ahead, on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, it's also an opportunity to meet others, um, share information, help each other. It, it's helped in some of the genealogy research that I'm doing. I enjoy also helping others with, you know, their applications, you know, trying to do the genealogy research to connect that relationship. And um, I'm proud of that history that I have and hope I can document more patriots in my family. Right. But but is it easy or is it hard? I mean, you, we talk about joining a lineage society, but, I mean, can you just – Knock on the door and say, hello, I'm here, I want to join. (laughs) Well, you know, I also, before I decided to do it, you know, I understood what the criteria was. You know, the ancestor has to have had a service, you know, between, what is it, 19 uh, April 1775 through 26 November 1783, but I first needed to understand what a lineage society is because I know there's several. And so I wanted to know what did they do, you know, how was that going to impact me. And so I think the first thing people should consider is do they understand that it's a group, it's got limited membership, and they got to meet certain criteria. So for DAR, Daughters of the American Revolution, you know, they need to be able to track that relationship that they're a descendant of someone that was a patriot. They have the right to deny people that don't fit that criteria. It's open to anyone. But, again, I needed to understand, did I want to be part of that? So I also looked at what DAR members or the group's we're doing the local chapters because there's several in my area. And um, I wanted to understand what they did and if that related to my beliefs and things I enjoy being involved in. And it did. And then I started pursuing that once a distant cousin said, you know we have patriots in the family. No, I didn't. You know, and so 
she was the first one, and her name is Gail, and she lives in Salt Lake City. And she's the first one that mentioned that to me. And so I started doing some digging, and I thought, oh, my goodness, we do. You know, so that and the things that they believe in and the practices that they do in the community and things is what really attracted me to joining the chapter that I did. Well, you just brought up something because I don't know how many people even know just what they do, but give us an idea. Okay. You talk about some of the practices in the community and what they do and and some even the benefits. Just, just tell us more because, you know, we don't know. Okay. Well, one of the things they do, they have to restore and maintain historical sites. The DAR owns a lot of buildings. They help preserve specific buildings, certain battle sites might have buildings on them, and they would help to preserve that. They're also preserving genealogical records, artifacts, and historical documents. And if anyone hasn't um, done research at the DAR library in D.C., it's a place to, to make a stop at. Um, I actually wrote an a article you know, on that, Angela or someone asked me, you know, you can't, you know, she wanted to know, can you really do African-American research at the DAR? Well, I took the train up to D.C., stayed overnight, and went up to the DAR library, which I had been before, but I just hung out specifically to look at what African-American resources was there. And, yes, you can do African-American research at the DAR library. They also provide scholarships and awards to students. Um, we have opportunity to volunteer to help with military veterans in different programs. They sponsor, uh, sponsor a National Constitution Week, and last year I did it with a subsidized housing community, and I had 22 kids, taught them about the Constitution, talked about some of the amendments, what that meant how they understood it. They had to read some of that. So and that was an activity every September 17th to September 23rd across the nation. There's acknowledgement on the Constitution. And also they celebrate new citizens at nationalization ceremonies. And one of the largest ones is right at um, Thomas Jefferson's Monticello, which I live right down the road from. And I have opportunities to go there and participate in some of those activities. So I was in support of the volunteering and, you know, preserving genealogical records and restoring and marking, you know, uh, patriot grave sites and headstones. And, you know, that was an attraction for me, and I wanted to be part of that. That is quite interesting. You know, I, did, I wasn't aware of some of the things you just mentioned. And so, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I am aware of the fact that you can do African-American research at the, the DAR library in D.C. because I've spent a great mm-hmm. deal of time there. I mean, that's like a candy store right there with the various books and resources. Yes. <laughs> but the celebration mm-hmm. of new citizens and the restoring and maintaining historical sites, that's that's new. I wasn't aware of that. Well, how large is this group? Oh, goodness. Um, I believe now there's, um, hmm, let's see, maybe there's so many chapters. I think there's over 177,000 
members in over 3,000 chapters across the, the, in the world because there's some chapters that are overseas. Because it mm-hmm. basically was founded back in 1890 by four women. And uh, they raised, just think about this, 1890, four women raised $50,000 to purchase swampland in D.C., because at that time it was swampland, and now they are probably, I believe, the largest holder of real estate in the D.C. area, and it's the Mm -hmm. most expensive. Constitution Hall, you know, and the library, the headquarters. But there's over 177,000 members. Right. And do you have any idea how many of those members are African-American members? A little over 100. A little over 100. And, and, yeah, and I'm one of yeah, those. Right. Yeah, we know that they're over about, 100. what, about 6,600 uh, patriots of color? Yes. They're actually, several years ago, they had did a study and research and developed the Forgotten Patriots book, and it accounts for over, a little over 6,000 African-American and Native American uh, folks that were considered patriots or of service um, during the revolutionary time. It's now available as a PDF. Um, anyone can visit dar.org and, you know, download that PDF. And I actually post on the Facebook page, I randomly pick and just will post a a patriot's name in the state that they're with. You know, I never know when somebody, it might be theirs, you know. People are researching Virginia, Kentucky, and if there's patriots, just open it up. I just want that information to get out because there's a lot of people that have no idea or they might have had some oral history that came down, like that article that came out in the Globe today about the lady... um, Rock, the Roxbury woman who discovered that her fourth great-grandfather, who was Windsor Fry, he was a free slave, and he fought in ten battles during the Revolutionary War. And she heard the stories coming down. And her name is Barbara Tony, and people can Google that. I mean, but that's awesome to be able to say that. And he was a slave, which we know that they fought, you know, during revolutionary time and, of course, the Civil War as well. That's right. And I, I also saw the, the article, and it's wonderful. Not only did Barbara Tony join, but also uh, she had other family members to become a member yes. of DAR. Yes. yes. Now, there's a question coming out of the chat, and I think this is something that many people are questioning is it not true that many DAR chapters have been accused of discriminating against African-American applicants? Well, there was a time, and everybody knows the Marion um, Anderson story back in 1939. They did not allow her to sing at the Constitution Hall. That has been reversed, and now the society is open to anyone that's it's the criteria. Any woman that's 18 years or older, regardless of race, religion, ethnic background, that can prove, you know, that lineage from a patriot of a 
the American Revolution. But yes, DAR, just like several other organizations in our country, have that ugly past of denying people entrance, you know, because of their color. Absolutely. I have not had any issues as a person of color, you know, in the chapters and to the functions and things that I have went to. I don't. I can't speak for everybody, but I know where I'm at in Virginia. Somebody else could share different information, but I have thoroughly enjoyed what I've been involved in. Right, and I mean this. This is 2016, and people Absolutely. are so engaged in in their genealogical research, taking DNA tests, and doing everything else to find out who they are and who they descend from, that why not look at look for your ancestor, go back as far as you can to determine if indeed your mm-hmm. ancestor was involved in uh, some way uh, with the Revolutionary War. Now, I want mm-hmm. any, in, any individual that's interested in just chiming in on this conversation, please feel free to call. And just talk about, well, you know, why why should you consider joining a lineage society? So this the lines are open right now, so feel free to just call in and chime so we can talk about it. So, Shelley, what do people really need to do? Well, there's a process. And, and once that people can want to consider Somebody has a little doggy barking. <laughs> Percy. That's my cousin, True. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, hi, True. <laughs> I, I had the door shut, but he's still out, yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. So what, I like, what I like to tell people to do, um, the organization is set up that they have what they call a register, and they're going to help people, and then there's, you know, other volunteers that help people with their application and things. So once you decide you want to become a member, I always go to first, what genealogical records do you have on your ancestor on the line that you're going to track or that you think you have a Revolutionary War ancestor in? And so one of the things is I wanted to know first, what kind of documentation am I going to have to have? Because there is a worksheet that people can work with. So I would complete a pedigree chart and do the DAR worksheet. I talk to my family. I determine if my ancestor was in the area where there could have been Revolutionary War service going on. Were they possibly in an area between that April 19, 1777 or November 26, 1783, you know, and determine if they thought they were there. Then I'd look at the chapters in my area because you need to contact a chapter in order to start that process. And then they have volunteers and a register that will work with you. So I would tell people to do a Google search, find out what's in your area, or if you want to join the area where your ancestor had served at. Then you contact them, tell them that you're interested in joining. They're going to set up a meeting. you got the, the register, you got the genealogy consultants, which I am, and a volunteer genealogist that will help you through that process. So we help work with them 
number one, keeping them motivated. Because it's a little different than just the sim not simple genealogy, but just the simple, I got a birth, I got a death certificate, and I got a marriage record. You might come across a time, and True can talk about her application, that you have to explain or show evidence of a relationship. So if you say, that's your brother, say John Smith is my brother, give me something that provides evidence that says, that's my brother. And you got to think of those documents that would show some relationship. So again, it's a process. You're doing an application. There's going to be fees involved. So you concentrate on connecting with the local chapter you want to join. Start working that worksheet, and I have a PDF that can be shared. You know, and then you're going to do your basic genealogical research. Write down what you know. Can you document the birth, death, marriage, divorce, pension records? and things like that, and start gathering, you know, that information. Decide on what you don't know that will help you determine that relationship. So you also have to know the basics of genealogy of what records and resources are available, and then go from there. Because sometimes it's going to take time, but you have support. You're not left hanging on your loan you know, alone to just say, here, go figure this out, do this worksheet. No, you've got the volunteers that will basically are right there with you to help you find resources. On the Patriot that I'm working on now, which is uh, my second and third one that I'm submitting for, I found town meeting minutes from 1780-something to prove my ancestor's residency, and his name was in the minutes. And so that was the evidence that will be submitted with my supplemental application, they call it. And True could probably give you what she has done in her experience with the person she's been working with. Okay, True, well, why don't you you help us? (laughs) Yes, so my process, everybody's process is a little unique, And mine's was as well because I had five women that I had to go through and research and document until I got to my patriot. And then on top of that, there was no one um, that was assigned to him. There was no one on my line that actually was connected to him. So that's why I had to start from basically from scratch. And um, it took me some time to figure out what chapter I wanted to join, and it was also because me and my mother, we, um, we're prospects right now. Our application is pending since February the 14th. So we joined as a mother and daughter combo, and I wanted to best utilize what was going to be best for my mom too. So we decided to use the chapter where our patriot was born and lived and where my mother is, and then I can do work here in Kentucky as well. And she's already been to some functions um, like Shelley had mentioned earlier about service to the community as far as they were doing essay contests with the children and visiting veterans and things like that. And, yeah, the research was um, a lot because everything from me to my parents to my grandparents and such and such, everything that I had had to be exactly – it was the wording, Shelley, like – 
whatever was on that yeah. document, that that name had to match the previous document and then the document that follows after that. And I had um, a lot of ordering to do from different counties because once you get back to a certain um, group, like maybe after the fourth grandparents is where I was starting to have issues, it took me time because I did it. I wasn't familiarized with Pennsylvania's um, records. So I had to figure out, was I getting this from the archives or, you know, was it only at the county level? You know, it was a lot of that was involved. And... um, it's taken me quite a while, and dear Myrtle and Cousin Russ put together a program for me after I had everything lined up as much as I could so that someone else could take a second pair of eyes to see where my my holes were, where my gaps were. And then once we had, um, dear Myrtle had that show for me, then I was ready to feel confident enough to hand it into my registrar because I kind of wanted to get all my documents and research done before I handed it in. That way, whatever she told me I was missing and needed, I could just work on that. So after that happened, I needed like three or four things. And it was funny because it was a document. My dad's birth certificate is what was holding us up. And that's something that's easily accessible, but I didn't think that my dad was going to misplace it and we might have had to order it and everything. So we were kind of like on a time crunch as well. But I found a lot of amazing documents. Um, my grandmother had a 1836 will as a woman, and it led me to a lot of my maiden names. So it's been a lot of work, but it's been worth it because it helped me with my my um, my direct line all the way back to him. So right. Well, you know, and, you, and you just said something. You mentioned it took you quite a while. Give us an idea of. Your your whole research journey, when you say quite a while, a year, 10 years, 20 years? <laughs> <laughs> I don't want anybody to get discouraged because I did put my research down for like about six months, but it actually took me two years to go through the whole process because my uh, main research is in Alabama and Georgia, and, and it's funny because Pennsylvania is what I should be focusing on, but I hadn't. I just assumed that everything was there because I was always concerned about my African-American research. But this taught me a lot about it. And plus, I was taking it at the wrong angle. I don't know, um, Shelley, how you put that into words, but I wasn't approaching my application in the right way at first. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. (laughs) Well, you need to tell us more about that, not approaching it in the right way. What does that mean? Um, I was looking at it from a, um, I guess I was looking at it from a genealogical standpoint. I was thinking, okay, I have this on my tree and I can use that, but it's, it's about the documentation. It's something you need to physically have in hand and order and Everything mm-hmm. is not online all at the all the time. You have to. I had to do a lot of writing um, and filling out forms to request things, and you have to wait on that to come back. And you know, oh, there you. there may be times when documents they might say, "Well, we don't have that," or it was you know rejected, and then you have to re you know redo it, redo the application to request something. So I was going through all those little um, phases. With it. Right. Now, but, the, the and coming, coming out of the an chat. example. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say when I said 
submitted my application, um, one of the things I was concerned about was because I did not have my great-grandmother's birth certificate. She was born in 1845, and this was going up her line. And um, what I found when I had went to NARA and pulled a pension record, a Civil War pension record of my great-grandfather, which his wife is the one I'm speaking of, there was a document in his pension file when she filed for her widow's pension, and it was an attorney that had documented that there was no evidence of her birth and the stuff that he had done to to come up with the birth date or the birth year to document she was there and this, that, and the other. I had to submit that, which was evidence, because there wasn't some birth records in the area where they were at, but all these other things that he had done and, you know, hired to help her get the pension was good enough to go through the document, her birth of being 1845 because I had no birth record, no ledger, nothing from a Bible, um, you know, nothing that said she was born in this town. But there was other records that the attorney had and used in that pension application. Well, you know, I'm really glad that you mentioned the pension application, the Civil War pension application, because, I, yeah. I you know, I work on Civil War widow's pension records all the time, and you do see information of which the women are saying, this is my name, this is where I was born, this is how I met him, and they have additional information in those packets that can take you further back in your research or provide the, the proof that you're looking for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I want to just go back to something you mentioned earlier, and it's just some uh, comments coming out of the chat. You mentioned a chapter that you want to identify the chapter that you will perhaps work with. And, uh, True, you kind of said, well, you wanted to pick a chapter that would be convenient for your mother. Now, would there be two chapters that you all would work with or only one chapter? Um, I'll be working with both um, where I'm located here in Kentucky, but I do go home to Pennsylvania quite a bit, and there will be work that I'll be doing there with my mom. But my mom is there all the time, so that's her her residence, so she she wants to stay involved there. So you, uh, Shelley, I'm not sure what they call that when you have like your main chapter and then you have your, um, I guess you would call that I your think supplemental one. It's like an associate one. type thing. Yeah, associate like a, chapter. Associate one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because I thought about my patriot actually is New York, out of New York, born and raised in New York, but the chapter I belong to is in Virginia, in Charlottesville, Virginia. And so, you know, I could have joined the New York chapter, but I'm six hours from New York. So I wanted to be active. And one of the, I, it was another thing I wanted to point out that all the little girls in my family, these nieces and all of them that come down from this same line, they have that option of joining. 
also when they become 18 or joining the, the girls group. But this opened up for my nieces to and nephews to get their daughters in. And there's also those scholarship opportunities. And um, I don't know if people know that DAR has schools in a couple states that they sponsor. The one I'm familiar with is called Cross North, and it's in one of the uh, Carolinas. And they're basically, we fundraise continually year-round for these schools. And the, the school, the one I'm thinking of is where kids might have been removed from their home and they go to high school and all, and it's, you know, like a, I'm going to say college dorm type setting, you know, and it's just excellent the things that's coming out of that and these kids go on and go to college and there's information on the main uh, webpage on that. But it was something else to be, for me to be able to either donate some time and they're called Cross North Schools and it's sometimes linked to a children's home and it was in um, Cross North, North Carolina is what I'm thinking about. And they were founded back in 1913 and DAR supports those schools and it was a boarding school for disadvantaged mountain children where they could, you know, live, learn, continue, you know, to be in North Carolina and be in a home-like environment. And it's just been a big supporter of that. So that was another thing as an educator was to latch on something, you know, that I could Hmm. see growth, you know, and kids being able to, just because you might have been disadvantaged doesn't mean you don't have access to go to college or to finish school and things like that. So that was another opportunity or, you know. Sure. So uh, another question coming out of the chat, just for clarification, does one apply to the National Society and then select a local group, or do you go to a local group first? I would suggest you go to a local group. Some people can apply just at the national level and not be involved in a local chapter. But, again, that was why when I said, what do you do first? Think about what are you looking for? Look at what the local chapters are doing in your area. Is that something of interest, you know, that you would like to be involved in? You know, uh, every July 4th, the thing at Monticello when they're, um, you know, swearing in the new citizens, you know, we have a ceremony at Jefferson's grave. It's called the laying of the wreath. And my brother and his friend was down, and they're Vietnam veterans, and we were there. You know, and you had a talk, a speech type thing, and, and notable, talking about notable soldiers, veterans, and acknowledging that. And they were so proud to be part of that, you know, as Vietnam veterans, and they were on their way to a reunion. And so they were able to see it, and they were folks dressed up into, you know, the Revolutionary War uniform. And, and so it was very nice. And again, that's we have a long history of uh, military veterans in our family as well. And so that's just one more step for me to be involved, to be able to say thank you, you know, for that freedom that we have, but also to acknowledge those soldiers and veterans that have served from Revolutionary War all the way up to who's serving right now. Now, you mentioned your brothers. Are your brothers also, uh, and obviously there's the uh, sons 
of the American Revolution. Are your brothers a part of this group? Yes. Actually, um, I completed the application for my brother about six months ago. He's actually in Michigan, so and he's with the same Patriot, of course, that, that I got in with. And um, he joined, I think it was about six months ago, and went in. And he's enjoying the activities. He's also a commander of a VFW. And so, you know, it's a connection with other veterans of the foreign wars, the Revolutionary War, and, of course, Civil War, all the way up to, you know, Afghanistan and things that are going on now. But, yeah, I com- actually completed that application on his behalf and submitted it. Um, I didn't have any problems with my application because they accepted almost, say, 90% of what the DAR had accepted, and it's SAR. And um, so there was no issue with that application process. That was the closest chapter to him in Traverse City, Michigan, and so that is how he did the same thing. I said, where do you want where do you want to join? What are you looking to do? You know, same thing that I, you know, mentioned earlier. You know, go where you want to be active that you can give, you know, the time and support some of these activities. Right. And so there's another question coming out about SAR. As far as the records, are they kept in a different place from the DAR records? They have headquarters just like the DAR, but the research that I did, I used, I must say like true, the old-fashioned way, did my genealogical research. I did not get a lot off the line. I actually had to write to get copies of certain things that I needed, even if it was down to marriage or death or even a will, um, it might not have been online. I pretty much think everything I had was in the file from my genealogy research. It didn't come from online. But they have a repository just like DAR. I'm not sure if they're as big as DAR or as many chapters as they have, but they have pretty much a similar process. But I think the documentation and the evidence is a little more, not as lenient, you know, so they adopted and accept the DAR. If you're into DAR, that application, SAR is taking it as well. Now, you know Michael Henderson is also in the SAR, and I'm hoping right. he's listening or will call in. Because well, Michael Henderson is in the chat room. He needs to call in because he did some extensive research on an ancestor all the way back to France and has also been, has joined the SAR and has made some huge strides. And, you know, I think the question of why did he do that? You know, because it's not just tracing your ancestor for genealogical reasons. You know, we're documenting somebody's military history as well. That's right, that's right. And, you know, it was interesting to hear True say, well, it's not just doing a a pedigree chart. She had to find the papers, the actual documents that put her ancestor at a certain place and time to say, yes, they were were there, and I have the paperwork to prove it. 
which, you know, for some people, this is going to be a challenge. And so I would like to know more about the role of the DAR register and the volunteer genealogists. I mean, what can you expect of them? Well, as far as the register, once that worksheet is done and, say, all the evidence and documentation that you have, the register is the one that's going through that worksheet and making sure you've got things matched because that worksheet is really the key. And I actually began using the worksheet in my regular genealogy research. So, you know, it starts with me, just like our regular genealogy, and then I'm just documenting the line back. And this is I'm the child of so-and-so. This is, you know, I document who they are, their marriage, you know, to show their relationship, you know, and then I go to the parent and so forth. And I really think it's a good tool, these worksheet type things. It's similar to a timeline, but you're bringing evidence with it. And mm-hmm. the evidence is where people typically, because you're doing generations, you, you, want, you want to be able to have a statement or proof for each birth, marriage, death dates and places and connections between these generations from the applicant all the way through to that revolutionary ancestor. And mm-hmm. and anything that you have, you know, it's just like a citation. You're bringing forth the proof that here's that relationship. Because you got to remember with a lineage organization, we're tracking blood. We're not tracking households. We're tracking blood. Okay. It it has to be blood, yes, blood relationships. Got you. Okay. Well, we're going to take just a quick break and and continue this discussion uh, about the, the whole process. I mean, you're talking about tracking blood relationships. So quick, quick, quick break, and then we'll be right back. at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This episode is sponsored by Write Books That Sell Now, the online course helping you write, publish, and market your story. Start your book journey with the totally free video training at writebookthatsellnow.com slash video training series. Now, I just want everyone to remember that all of my guests share a deep passion and knowledge of genealogy and history. And this is a show that comes on every Thursday night, and we're also on iTunes. So once the show is over, please go to iTunes, like the show, and hey, 
Tell me what you think of it. That's one of the things that I, I want to get feedback on. What do you think about the show? So the lines are open for individuals that would like to call in and also share their experience in applying for the uh, lineage uh, society. And I want to go back because you were talking about tracking blood relationships, and there was a question or or either of you tracking the your African-American ancestors' involvement in the Revolutionary War or your European ancestor? I'll let True go first. <laughs> well, yes, this is um, on my mother's line, and uh, my patriot um, is European, and I do hope to find um, a patriot in the Unforgotten Ones. This, this is my first time, so... I haven't really um focused too much on my collateral my my collateral ones that I'm going to have added to um my patriot cuz I've been so focused on him for 2 years but I would love to find find one of my African Americans in that in that book one day and, Okay and what for about me, my patriot Yeah my patriot is also European Johan Boyer and then I'm also tracking on one of my African roots to see if he is one of my Goins ancestor because we have a Charles Goins that is a patriot also. And so I am now tracking to see if that's my line of Goins. And I did want to make a quick comment that a lot of people might assume that your patriot has to have been military. Uh, a soldier, but patriotism also had to be uh, someone that might have provided a civil service. They could have been the town clerk, the jailer, the justice of the peace. It could be someone that was catering supplies to the service. That could be your African-American, your whites, or whoever. They might have provided uh, supplies to the troops. And if you can document that they had service, then that's also considered a patriot. It could be people that sign that oath of fidelity and support or allegiance, um, doctors, nurses, any of them that were taking care of the wounded, ministers that did patriotic sermons, you know, could have been someone the a prisoner of war or a refugee that was occupying forces. So it's not just someone that was a military soldier. And so I just wanted to make sure, you know, that was, you know, clear because a lot of them will think, oh, no, he wasn't in the military. It could have been the person that made the guns, you know, or the munitions makers or gunsmiths, or they were loaning money for that cause of independence. And if you can document that, uh, you know, to prove that service was done, that's, a start, you know, definitely a yeah. start. Right, and that's that's a pretty broad start, which is it's wonderful if you can find all the various yeah. uh, opportunities to say my ancestor was there. Um, you know, I'm I'm right. Just going to read something out of the chat room right now. Uh, sometimes their task as enslaved or even as free people of color. Uh, the detail may be simply unknown. 
So how do you uh, proceed to say, yes, my ancestor was there, but you really don't know? You don't. And and one of the things, if there was a service, say, as a slave, and maybe the slave was with, say, the doctor or, or a manservant type, you know, just like the Civil War, it could show up in writings on the uh, uh, biography, you know, that so-and-so went with me. Um, it could show up in uh, the will. It could show up in a pension record. And those are the things that I've seen mostly have came out of a pension record, and, and they had mentioned the name of the slave that would have been with them. Or they performed a service, and it was acknowledged by somebody. Could have been in town minutes you know, and uh, meeting minutes and things like that. So I would not be totally discouraged because absolutely anytime we're dealing with African-American or slave research, there's that that chance that we'll never find them or never be able to document it, just like we do in slave research. I think it's worth the effort to search and see what's out there because this type of research really takes you a little further step because you're going to go look in places. Like, again, I wouldn't be searching for town minutes, but then again, I could say, well, that's not much different than maybe a city directory if I bring it into, you know, the 1900s or something like that. But you might not think of that when you're talking about the 1780s or, you know, back at that time. So knowing what's available and where to look would help. It could be something out of a Bible that could be an acceptable source that DAR would accept to prove something that was there if there's other evidence to support it. Right. Well, what's, what about the whole, the whole issue of uh, DNA testing? Because I know something just came out this week or last week. Tell us about that, Shelley. Yeah, the DAR is accepting DNA evidence, and so um, they actually have an online DNA genealogy class. And they partnered with Tramp Family Tree DNA, and they're definitely a, a, they're giving out discounts also on the Y DNA testing for DAR application purposes. And so what what just recently came out in I just saw it on Facebook and then a newsletter, was that they partnered, National Daughters of the American Revolution partnered with Family Tree DNA, and they've actually set up a, um, you know how the family has the group associations where people can put their DNA uh, results and things up and then they can collaborate Mm -hmm. with that information. So now that is an opportunity that wasn't there before. And I'm actually was on with True last night, you know, and one of the things is I need to upload the DNA that I have that links to my Patriot and get it into that database because there could be more. I know I have, just like you, Bernice, and I'm waiting to see your worksheet because you need to get going on yours. Because you have access up to 12 Patriots, and you know it, but you haven't yes. started that process. So I think right. the DNA piece is going to help to open up some new avenues. But it will have to track back to that male 
so it will come down and have to get to that male. My DNA, um, I didn't have to use it for my applicant, you know, to track that line, but it was mm-hmm. done and it put me in. He was a JQ, so I have that. That's what's going to go be uploaded into that database for DAR, because to be able to put all of those in one spot, we will be able to help so many more people, and I think it's another tool that we'll have access to that will help benefit a lot of people that want to join the organization, because they use the Y DNA to support the application. Right, just the Y, because even some of the autosomal DNA uh, when you look in those trees, you're seeing uh, patriots in those trees. Yeah. But you're saying that you yeah. still have to have the, the direct why to support your yeah. application? Yeah. Very interesting. Uh, so then this is just a question coming out of the chat, although I think you answered it. Is there a male DNA database for DAR and SAR applicants? Not that I'm aware of. This is the first thing, and I mean, this just came out this week. Right. So and they, they can still Google working on the it. DAR. Yeah, they just they set up the the group on Family Tree DNA, and because, um, like I said, I was talking with True last night because I need to figure out how to upload my information. So. They begin accepting the Y DNA as evidence actually back in 2014, and to help new members with their applications and any supplemental applications. So when you use DNA along with your documentation, you know you should be able to, or it should help you to prove that heritage. So Y DNA is not a standalone for the lineage. You got to have that other documentation also. That would be another proof or evidence for that, you know, line. Now, have you or have, and I'm just throwing this out to anybody, uh, even the chat folks, uh, gone to the DAR website, looked at some of the applicants, and found your ancestors in somebody else's document. Can you pull that information and put it into your application? Yes. Well, let me say this way. What's on the DAR website is what they call the genealogical research system. And it's a combination of several uh, databases. So people can check for descendants and ancestors in that. We call it the GRS. Uh, And you can actually purchase electronic record copies directly from there. And so one of the things is to find out if your ancestor is even in that database. And that's Mm -hmm. where I know I have more to do to connect online because I see more already in there. That application, if I'm able to get someone else's, I only need to come up to where I've, like my current applicant that's in there. I don't have to reprove what's already been proven. And it could be from another line. I need to bring it up to where it connects to, say, someone else's. So I don't have to totally do a complete application, if that makes sense. You know, so 
So oh, say the okay. two other applicants that I have, part of mm-hmm. that line has already been approved in the Patriot that I have, so I don't have to reprove that. I just need to bring my research up to where it connects to what's proven. That's a supplement. Okay. Does that make sense? Right. Okay. I, I understand. Right. Okay. Yeah. I, I get yeah. it. I get so it. So once it's done, it's done on your your Patriot, then everything else is a supplemental. And if it's on that same line, I only have to bring it up to where it connects. Mm-hmm. So what else do we need to know and understand uh, before we go into this whole process of, of meeting or uh, at least talking to someone at DAR? I mean, how much well, do we need to have before we walk in the door? <laughs> I think you need to have quite a bit. <laughs> well, I, I did like as much as I could, after, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I was going to say, you, you're going to have to have this thing ready. That register is not going to submit it unless she thinks it's going to pass. Now, there okay. could be a couple things that sends it back and says you need an additional thing like that, but these mm-hmm. registers are trained on this, what, what needs, what's going to get acceptable and not. So you've got a team at DAR, say in D.C., that will be the approving uh, component. But you mm-hmm. got your register and you got your volunteer genealogist helps people to do the basic genealogy, you know, uh, documenting your, your line, you know, finish out the generational chart and things like that. You have the genealogy consultant who could be called some, maybe True's chapter doesn't have a genealogy consultant or a volunteer genealogist. They can put out a request, and someone from another chapter can help them. That's the consultant. So I can consult and help True or True's chapter, you know, to to work on applications. And I help them here, you know, for people that are doing it. There's several people on Facebook that, you know, consult with them, you know, and just help them through their application. And, you know, like True and I have had several discussions on some of the things, and I thought it was fabulous what Dear Myrtle and Cousin Russ did on their hangout to be able they walked right through each one of those generations. And the register, I think, was the one that was also on there as well. And so questions were being asked, you know, because, you know, you never know where evidence can be compiled from. So you need mm-hmm. to be prepared. You need to make connection with that local chapter to have that support and start building. But I also want to make sure people are aware that when they go to DAR, especially if you're researching African-American or minority research, they have a, a, a section on African-American, Spanish, Native American, and Jewish research You know, on the website that you can go in. And there's a part about researching your African-American patriots. And, of course, the Forgotten uh, Patriot book is available as a PDF. And that, again, is Native American. So it's a guide to the service and the sources in the study. So one of the things as a tip would be if you're researching someone in Virginia, go to the section of that Forgotten Patriots book in Virginia 
and look not just at the names, but look at the resources that were used to document that. I think that's the, the even bigger opportunity for exposure to what records and resources are available. They came out with a supplement to that, an additional 82 more pages, 82 pages of additional names of African American and American Indians who uh, contributed you know, to the uh, Revolutionary War, and that's after the book of the 6,000-plus came out. So there's an additional 82 pages of additional names that are available. So I would encourage anyone to visit that webpage, go through there. They can get us on Facebook. There's a lot of people that you'll see DAR sections and ask the question. You know, people are willing to help. You know, if not, they can find me. Well, there's a question, though, and it's it's a barrier, but what about those people whose ancestors migrated away from the 13 colonies? Uh, for example, the people in Louisiana. You know, proving the connection uh, may be a big challenge when the slaves were involved. It's no different. What, what, how do you approach migration for anywhere? You you got to have some evidence. You got to come up with some evidence. My ancestors went from New York to Michigan. I have to prove that that's the same one. That's the same you know relationship, the same family, you know the same uh, husband, wife, whatever the situation is. So you're documenting or you're producing evidence, whatever that might be, to be able to distinguish. And you say Louisiana, okay, did they originate from Louisiana? Where was the service performed at? You know, did that group get transferred? You know, I have an ancestor, the supplement I'm working on now, he was at six, six different battles, which went between Rhode Island, New York, and Connecticut. So I'm building each one of the places he was at and documenting based on the service records. The biggest thing for me is the pension records. If they served and they got a pension record, you're going to find some information or at least get some leads out of those pension records. And if not, they got to go to the widow's pension. You need to find out if the land that they might have owned came via their service in the war. So I think it's not much different. It's finding the evidence. That's the big key and knowing what resources are available. Right. And Michael uh, mentioned that he documented six Louisiana Patriot ancestors who served under Bernardo Delgadas. So uh, he was able to do that, and this is Louisiana. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's a as you said, you you just have to really you have to spread your your base of looking for every possible opportunity that your ancestor could have served. Mm-hmm. And and that seems that that's a challenge. But if you really want to get in, then that's the challenge that you will have to meet to provide that documentation. Yeah, yeah. and one Anything of the things else. is you Go need ahead. to learn about the battles. Yes, yes. 
yeah, learn about the battles. And NARA has uh, excellent resources and things on the battles, about the pensions. You know, you, you go to the, the land. Did they receive land? What states had bounty land? You know, Georgia, Maryland, I think New York, Virginia, Massachusetts. You know, they promised bounty land. You know, so there's more to the research rather than just the line. You just like we do in regular genealogy. You got to know that community. You got to know that county. You got to know that state. What was their involvement? What laws were in place at the time that would have made records, you know, become created? You know, not just knowing where, you know, where where were the bounty lines? You're going to have to go to NARA to look at that. Right. Well, can you give us any more closing tips before we end the show tonight? I would encourage people who are considering it. It's a good educational tool to be able to document a lineage. I don't know how long uh, Michael took on his research path. I know it took me about a year to actually get my application ready and again, I had to educate myself on more. So I think it's a path that people can do. I think getting that worksheet is good. I think partnering up with your prospective chapter is another good thing to do. And be able to work with someone. Don't try to do it on your own. Partner up with somebody either that's doing it or has done it. And I think it a be rewarding on the end when you succeed. Also, you mentioned the genealogy consultants. Is there a fee to uh, work with one of the genealogical consultants? No, it goes through the chapter. Okay. Now, the DAR okay. does have search service, too, and you can pay at the national you know, headquarters they do have fee-for-service through there, and I think it's like $30 an hour for members and $40 an hour for non-members because the DAR library, and that's another thing, is to look and see what their holdings are and uh, because it could be an, something that could be there as a holding, you know, for your area that you're looking at. They have Mayflower descendants in the Huguenot Society, you know, family Bible things, people donate to them just like they do, you know, the National Archives or certain, like the Smithsonian's and places like that. And not all of it is revolutionary war. There's other wars involved that they have documents there. And, again, I just hope people don't try to do it on their own. This is something you need to have help with. Right. So I just want you once again, since we started this, the, the show with the question of why should you consider, let's end the show with why should you consider. Tell us again, why should someone even, even bother? Well, for me, uh, it's my support of military, active duty and veterans, history of military, I like participating in the programs that educate people on the Revolutionary War. I like service-oriented type programs. I like the new friends that I'm, I'm encountering, the networking that happens. And 
I'm sharing the information through the family who has younger kids. I don't have grandchildren, but I have nieces, great nieces. I have cousins that have grandchildren. And sharing that history that they would never know, you know, hey, one of your patriots, one of your ancestors was right there with George Washington and fought with him, you know, during the Revolutionary War. There's some value to that to be able to share that type of history. Look at the lady in in the Globe on the article. You know, that ancestor, you know, fourth great-grandfather it was, he was a slave and fought in ten battles. To me, I want to share that information, and that should come down the family line. Children should know well, who came before them and who fought for what and who did what. That was a survival thing, too. He's a freed slave who fought in ten different battles. You know, I think that's remarkable, and he should be known, and that should be shared. That's right, and that's also a hit. That's a story that they can continue. Yeah. So that they, so that this is not a forgotten patriot. What about you, True? Um, I'm just proud of that. I actually have a fifth great grandfather that served, and. Um, it's probably in my genes because of my own military service and my son, and not, who knows what my granddaughter is going to do one day. And um, I preserve my research and my lineage until the end of time because um, I'm the first to do so on this line. And I just feel like we come from many backgrounds, many walks of life, and um, all the other daughters there were all there for the most part for the same reason. And I'm just glad that even though I'm not active duty anymore, this is kind of like a continuation of service to the, to the you know, the country, to my nation, to my local city here to keep volunteering with the children and the veterans and just getting work done that, you know, we need to do to keep preserving these um, histories. So that was a big thing for me. I always wanted to do it, but it was the right time and place for me um to do the, to do this now. So yeah, I encourage everyone make your presence known for your patriot cuz you know, you are the DAR of today. Thank yeah. you. Well said. Well, thank you so much Shelly Murphy and True Lewis for joining us tonight to talk about uh why it's important or why you should consider joining a lineage society. And everyone, please remember your ancestors left footprints. Therefore you should follow the clues that are presented to you through oral history, family records and research at the National Archives and beyond. Now, you can continue this discussion on the research at the National Archives and beyond and AfroGenius.com Facebook pages. And also remember to listen to the African Roots podcast with Angela Walton Raji on Friday. Here's a quick commercial. Are you interested in enhancing your skills in African-American genealogical research? Have you heard about the Midwest African American Genealogy Institute? This is the only institute devoted exclusively to African American genealogical research strategies, and it is open to everyone, 
Register today, and we look forward to seeing you in July at the Allen County Public Library in Fort Wayne, Indiana. That's the Midwest African American Genealogy Institute at www.maagii.org, the Teaching Institute. Also, you can get useful tips, resources, and insights into all things book publishing on the Right Books That Sell Now weekly podcast. Subscribe to the feed at writebooksthatsell.now and get ready to learn how to write, publish, and market your book to tell the stories of your ancestors and leave a lasting legacy for your family. That's Write Books That Sell. Well, thank you so much again for joining the show. You can also find me on my website at www.genieberoots.com, and that is how this show is sponsored, through Bernice Beebe's Genealogy Research and Educational Services, LLC. Well, I look forward to all of you joining me next Thursday. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett. Good night, Dr. Shelley Murphy and True Lewis. Good night. Thank you. Good night. Thank you. Bye bye. (laughs) Bye bye.